Enjoy the Bible, kids and Bible. Hey, let's just uh, stand up. And uh, just as Ben was singing, let's just close our eyes and really just praise the Lord any way you like. Uh, nobody's staring at you, so if you're self-conscious, you can raise your hands. <laughs> just praise the Lord right now. And I just know in all of our lives, there are different things that are happening and different things that need to happen. But we know that inside of our soul there is something that is great and is stronger than ourselves. And it is Christ. Christ is in our heart. Christ will help us to overcome. Christ will get us up in the morning. Christ will give us the, uh, the, the umph <laughs> that we need in our heart. He will be our, our true north. He will, he will be our stability. He'll help us to do what we cannot. Lord, and as we open our Bibles today, we ask that you will help us to realize our complete dependency upon you. Any kind of self-sufficiency help us to get washed away in the awesomeness of the cross. Any kind of healing that needs to happen today, we ask that you will speak and that you will heal. Any kind of word that needs to be said, we ask that it will come from the throne of God. We just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. While you're standing, please turn to your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 9 through 14. Next week is Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, I think it is. I don't actually I don't know what today is. Yeah. It's not this week coming. Yeah. We always had this argument in China, didn't we? <laughs> like, you know, is it next week or the week after? I, you know, it's it's in two Thursdays, right? Uh yeah, actually I don't even know what we're doing, you know. <laughs> Probably just I have the day off of work, that's all I know. Uh Colossians chapter one, verses nine through fourteen. An amazing passage, and let's read it. Follow along with me. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, amen, and conveyed us into his kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom, I love this, in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin. So again, Father, we ask that you bless these words, help us to pay attention take away distractions that are in our hearts and our minds or around us, and we just ask that uh, you will fill us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited uh, this morning and just uh, in studying this word and really seeing what God has to share through the Bible. 
Uh, and I, I touched touch my heart. I hope it touches your heart also. Um, and if it doesn't, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but it's the Word of God, so I think it will touch your heart because the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God speaks to us. It is the Word of God that has power. I mean, when, Satan, uh, when, when Jesus himself was being tempted by Satan, he quoted the Word. He quoted the Bible, right? So if it was good enough for Jesus with Satan, it should be good enough for me with Satan in this daily life. And we face the devil in many different ways. Sometimes we face him face to face, I believe. Maybe you do. Maybe he's very active in your life. Maybe we face him uh, passively. Maybe it's one of his little imps. <laughs> or maybe it's one of his little workers. Or maybe it's just the world system and some bad things happened to you this week. Uh, but either way, we face him. We face his kingdom. Uh, we face the fruit of his kingdom. And the only way to overcome these things is not by your own strength. Okay? It's not by your own strength. You don't have it. I don't have it. You don't have it. Pastor Gary doesn't have it. Adam doesn't have it. You know, none of us have enough strength to face that. We need his word. And we're going to see that here a little bit in today's passage. Um, but here Paul is going to teach us, you know, in verse 9 we see it very early, that Paul is going to teach us something about prayer. How many of you guys love prayer? Do you pray often? I believe it says in 1 Thessalonians it says, like, pray without ceasing. Right? You, you pray without ceasing? No, I don't. <laughs> what does that even mean, right? Yeah, and we're going to talk about that only when we're desperate. But what we're going to see is in these few passages that Paul reveals to us the heart that he has towards this church in Colossae. Uh, he has, his heart is so tender towards these people but what we also see through this prayer that he, you know, verses 9 through 14 uh, is really a prayer that he has for this church. So that is how his heart is being revealed for these people. But we also see that in this prayer and in his heart towards these people, the contents of the prayer really helps us to reveal the understanding that we have about who God is. Um, a lot can be revealed through our prayers, can it? I mean, maybe when you prayed this morning, you were praying for your car to make it to church. You know, yesterday I was with a, you know, I got a phone call. Cabo, he comes on outreach with us on Saturdays from Elka City, and he called me because he was having car problems. And what do we say? We'll pray for you, right? Maybe you're praying for your car and these kind of things, but the things that we pray for reveals what is inside of our hearts. And I don't want to condemn in any way, but I want to stretch our capacity a little bit, something greater, because in this prayer here, Paul, the amazing Paul, the apostle, he is praying for his church. And what is he praying for? That is the amazing thing that we're going to see. But first, we always see that prayer is important, isn't it? So what do we see? We see unceasing prayer. Verse 9, let's turn there. He says, Since this day that we have heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you. That in Paul's walk with God 
And as he is ministering to many, many churches and many, many people, as he is traveling often, what is he doing? But he is praying for the people that he has in this church. But back up for a second, because do you see this church, that, do you find out that this church is in trouble? Yes, a little bit. But actually, in his opening statement, he is actually kind of uh, giving thanks to this church for their you know, awesomeness, for their greatness, for the walk that they already have with God. He says, actually, in verse 9, he says, For this reason, since we have heard of it. Heard of what? Well, if you go back to the previous verses and then our previous messages, he's actually, you know, since they have heard of their faith. He has heard of their faith. What did he hear about their faith? Well, he heard that they had love. He hears that they have hope. He hears that they have fruits in their life, that as they walk with God, that there is fruit in their life. So Paul is saying that as they, here is a church and, you know, as believers, he is saying that I have heard these great things from you. And because I have heard of these great things, I unceasingly pray for you. That is amazing. Because sometimes in my life I think, well, I got to pray for this person because they are in so much trouble, right? And then as soon as they're out of trouble, I stop praying for them. And then they're in trouble again, so then I start praying for them. Then they're out of trouble, and I stop. And our relationship in the church can go back and forth like this. But here the Apostle Paul, not only does he pray for those that are in trouble, you read that also in the Pauline epistles, but very specifically here, there is a church that is doing okay. And there is something to be, uh, uh, you know, you know, exalted, there's something to say, hey, good job, church, you're doing a great job, and I, I congratulate you, I am thankful for you in this area, and I am, you know, thumbs up, good job, but because of that, I am not going to stop praying for you, I am going to continue to praying for you. I mean, this is, this is really amazing that as we, you know, really dive into this, I want to read this quote, um, actually, I don't know who it's by, but I want to read it. It says, Prayer is always needed. Since the most excellent Christian graces are imperfect, liable to decay, and may be abused. That's an interesting quote, isn't it? I want to read it again, and then we'll dissect it a little bit. Prayer is always needed since the most excellent Christian graces are imperfect, liable to decay, and may be abused. Is this statement true? <laughs> yeah, it is, right, Adam? I mean, I find that this statement can be very true, and the reason why it's true is because of the humanity that these graces are wrapped up in. And what do we mean by Christian graces? I mean, very simply, we could talk about Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, you know, talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You can go through all the fruits of the Spirit, you know, joy. You can go through all of these fruits, and could these fruits be in my life, and then could they be abused, or could they be forgotten? The answer is yes. Can and does grace get abused? Can and does grace 
get forgotten? Can and does grace, uh, forgiveness get abused or forgotten? Can or does righteousness get abused or forgotten? I find that in so many people's lives that the Christian graces are abused and forgotten so many times. Here is what grace is. And then this word grace becomes defined differently and it becomes abused or forgotten. And then because it's abused or forgotten, the church tends to go all the way over here and they're like, well, now we got to talk about righteousness. We talked about grace for 50 years, half, half a century. But now that I see that humanity is abusing grace, my response is to now talk about righteousness and overemphasize righteousness. So now, therefore, this can be abused or forgotten. And now we're in the middle of righteousness and now there's no longer grace. I mean, on and on we could go through all the Christian graces, all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us, all these great emotions and the way we are to live our life, and they can be abused and they can be forgotten. So therefore, what does Paul say? He says, therefore, I unceasingly pray for you. And he's saying this. He said, I, I see these graces in your life. Yeah, somebody turned the AC to like 60, I think. Feels good up here. I feel like I'm back in Maine. You know? You know, it, you know they, they could, you know, the, I see these graces in your life. I see that there is love. I see that there is fruit in your life. Maybe you're evangelizing and sharing the gospel. I see that this thing is happening and that thing is happening. I see these things are happening in your life. But I am going to pray for you because it is possible in your life that they could get abused or forgotten. And I'm here to tell us that it's the same thing in our own lives because of our humanity, not because of the, the weakness of God's power in our life, but very simply because of our own humanity, it is very possible for the grace of God, for the forgiveness of God, for, for, for the fruits of God in our life to be either abused or forgotten. And that is why there is unceasing prayer yeah, the Christian, it is funny, if it's one side, right, if, if, they, if the Christian graces are abused, what does it lead to? Destruction, yeah. Sinless, I mean, you know, there is sinfulness in our life. And on the other side, if Christian graces are forgotten, what happens? That there is pride. If, one, if it is abused... There is sinfulness. If it is forgotten, there is self-centeredness and there is pride. Both of these is, is not how God desires us to walk with Him. And as we read the prayer, and we're going to get in there in a little bit, maybe towards the end of the sermon, when we, get, when we read the prayer, Paul is most concerned about their walk with God. He's not concerned about their house, their car, what kind of... You know, horse do they have? You know, what do they have for dinner or how much they have for dinner? He is most concerned with their heart. And how is their walk with God? Therefore, Paul says, I have unceasing prayer for you. That word unceasing prayer is a little intimidating, isn't it? It can be because uh, we read it actually, in, and we'll get there here in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that we are to pray without ceasing. So therefore we say, well, how could I ever do such a thing? 
But when you're reading the Bible, what does it mean to have unceasing prayer? It is amazing. You know, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 23. Don't turn there, but if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Samuel says, it would be a sin for me to not continue to pray for Israel. He says, it would be a sin before the Lord for me to cease praying for you, Israel. I mean, I am not Samuel, so it's okay. But imagine if a man of God was saying this about you. Imagine if somebody in the church said, it would be a sin for me to cease praying for you. Imagine if somebody in the church said that I'm going to pray for you, even though you're doing well right now, I'm going to continue to pray for you because I believe that God has more for you. He has more of his knowledge and more of his power for you. Imagine if somebody else was to say that about you. How about Philippians chapter 1, verse 4? Paul says that every time he remembers the church, he prays unceasingly with joy. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what Peter, uh, Paul, or that's Paul, right? Sorry, Paul is saying that. That he's saying that about the church. That there, I, I pray and it is unceasing and there is joy in my life when I pray for you. There is joy in my life. I mean, on and on and on it goes. And then, then you know, Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, I pray without ceasing. This idea of unceasing prayer doesn't mean that you have to quit your job and pray for eight hours. We'll give you a lunch break, don't worry. Pray for eight hours, and you go home, and you pray for, you know, until you go to bed, and then you got to wake up at three in the morning and lock yourself into a closet, and then you got you to gotta pray again. You know, I used to work at a, a Korean a Methodist church, and uh, they had this little closet. I, I enjoyed it, actually, but they had a closet and inside, it was this little, it was literally like a, a janitor's closet with a little desk with a, with a big old notebook with people's prayers. And you could lock yourself in there and you could pray for all these prayer requests. But it doesn't mean any of these things. We've got to compare the Bible with the Bible. And if you open the Bible, I mean, if I were to pray without ceasing literally, if I were to take that literal, I'd be disobeying another handful of commandments, right? Where... You know, i got to feed my, my son and my wife, right? I mean, it's something i got to do, so I can't pray without ceasing in that sense. But here's what one scholar says about pray without ceasing. He says this. He says, you are dependent on God for every good. You are dependent on God for every good. Without him, you can do nothing. Feel that dependence at, uh, at all times. And you will always be under the, under the spirit of prayer. And those who feel the spirit well as frequently as possible will be found in the exercise of prayer. You know, this scholar, he is saying that once we begin to understand our dependency upon God, we find ourselves in the spirit of prayer often. I love that. I love that. Because I stand here as a man who could what? I could abuse or I could forget the grace of God. I could abuse or I could forget the forgiveness of God. I could abuse or I could forget 
the righteousness of God. And on and on it goes. I could abuse and I could forget. Why? Because of my humanity. And it is because of my humanity that I realize that I need complete dependency upon God. And I'm saying me, but really I'm saying that because I don't want to point my finger at you. Well, really what I'm saying is we, right? Like, aren't we all guilty of this? Aren't we all guilty of be, like, functioning in our own humanity? And that is why in my own life, and that is why in your own life, you can't sit there and judge somebody and where they're standing at with God right now. You can't look at their sin and say, you are condemned. How dare you? You should know better. How many Christians have heard that word before? You should know better. How long have you been a Christian? You should know better. We have heard that a thousand times. But it is because of our humanity, it is because of the potential that we have to abuse and forget the graces of God that we can never say that to another person because we ourselves are guilty. We ourselves are completely dependent upon God. And without that dependency, we find ourselves without the spirit of prayer. And without the spirit of prayer, I mean, Jesus tells us that we will receive nothing. Because how many times did Jesus tell his disciples, if you pray, you will receive? Isn't that amazing? But what do we see? What is Paul praying about? If you read those passages, those verses again and again and again, there's something that stands out, and it's this word, no. Knowing God and knowing God's will. It's mentioned twice, actually, in these few verses. And it's the same word. It's epi, epinosis, you know. And, and I, I love this word, actually, because what it means, it means that there is uh, something that you know, and then what do you do with it, but you epi it. <laughs> Meaning that you, the word epi means upon. So you have some sort of knowledge of God, and then what do you do is you build upon that more knowledge of God. And then you build more knowledge upon that of God. And then what do you keep doing? You keep building upon what you know about God. And where does it lead us? See, epinosis isn't more information upon more information upon more information. You know, have you ever taken a test and you got like a 65? And the teacher says, take it again. And then you get an 85. And then he says, take it again. And you get 100. Like, that's not what, like, epinosis is. It's not like, you know, you're given a test over and over again until you get 100%. Epinosis is that you have some information about God and you're building upon that knowledge of who God is, but then that, that knowledge enters into a relationship with God. Like, there's other words for knowledge that Paul could be using here in Corinth, I mean, in, in Colossae. He could be using other words for knowledge that would mean that. Like, you need more information about God. He could have said that. Like, and here's the thing, is that as Americans, we have a lot of information about God. We will sit here and we will argue about theology until we're all blue in the face and we hate each other. Right? How, I mean, it happens all the time. We don't need more, you know, information, but we need more epignosis. We need to build upon our knowledge and have a relationship with God. And you know, 
This word, uh, one scholar says this, he says, it brings us to a place where that conveys the thought that there is, a, there is knowledge which is full and it is large and it is thorough, and it, it conveys the idea that we have a more intimate and personal relationship with God. So the contents of Paul's prayer is this. You already have the graces of God. You already have some knowledge of God. You, you have, in one sense, you have something amazing, and you are amazing. But there's more. But there's more. I am going to pray that you build on that, and that you build on that, and that you build on that to such a place that you have an intimate relationship with your Savior. This is so important that in our lives that we have an intimate relationship with our God. Because you can know the Bible, but never have the character of God. And this was the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They, they knew the Word of God, but they couldn't see the Son of God in front of them. You know, some, some people, you know, uh, are, you know, right now in our groups, they're loving reading Revelations because of the prophecy and how prophecy might be being fulfilled today right before our eyes, and it's so exciting, and we can't deny what God is doing in our lives. Uh, but it, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, you can look outside, and you can look at the skies, and you know when to harvest and you know when the wind blows a certain way that a storm is coming. You know that, but you don't see what is right before you. It is the same thing. It's like we could become so involved in scriptures and we could be so involved about these things, but we never become intimate with our Savior. We never become intimate with our Savior. You know, in this room is, you know, and is my prayer, it is very similar for you guys. We don't know who is in this room. Like, we know each other's names. We know a little bit about each other's lives. But we don't know who is in this room. Could you imagine being in the same room where Billy Graham got saved and got called by God? Because there were men in that room. There were women in that room that were in the same place. Or D.L. Moody when he got the call of God to serve and to preach and to minister. I mean, it happens in little churches. It happens in big churches where people, they, they get so intimate with God that they understand His will and they understand the strength that they can receive from Him. But the problem that can happen in our lives is that we cease to build. We cease to build. And at the very last part of this passage, verse 14, what does he say? He says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Who forgives us and gives us redemption? Yeah, it's Jesus. Okay, that's the who. We know that. But how do you know that? That's a good question. How do you know? Okay, good. Anybody else? Says so in his word. Okay, anybody else? These are right answers. I'm not, you know, looking for a right answer. You know, <laughs> not trying to trick you. So, you know. Huh? Okay, courage. Faith. These are good answers. 
You know, I was thinking, like, in my life, I need to build on my knowledge of his redemption. How do I know that he is the one who forgives me and he is the one who redeems me? You guys gave the right answer. We read verses like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where it says we are forgiven. You know, you can, you, you know, you're new to your Bible, you're opening your Bible, and you read verses and it says you are forgiven. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. You stop right there and you think about it, and there is one building block. That's a building block. Now you know something about he is the one who redeems you. But then you read here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that we have forgiveness and we have redemption. You read it again. Isn't that amazing? Different chapter, different verse, different book. But what are you reading? The same thing. What is that? It's another building block. And then you read Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins. What is that? There's another building block. See, what are we doing? We are building upon the redemption that Christ has. And we understand and we read these verses. We could read one verse after another verse after another verse after another verse. And what do we read? We read about the redemption of Christ. And that becomes the foundation of my knowledge of who God is. I mean, it is no accident that when Paul is mentioning no God, no God's will, I mean, these are important things. But what do I know about God? I know that He is my Redeemer. I know that through Him I have redemption, that I have forgiveness. Because the moment that I abuse or I forget the graces of God, what do I need? I need redemption. I need forgiveness. Because it brings me to a place where I really know my Savior. So we can read these verses one after another, after another, after another, and maybe you begin to memorize them. It's fun. It can be fun. It's not like school, you know. But you're learning the Bible. Why? Because it changes my life. What do I do then? I know them. But it's possible that I forget them. It's possible I abuse them. So then I know them again. Meaning that I, I listen to the message again. I read the verse again. I fellowship with people about the same message again. Like the thing is, is like redemption is never going to leave our life. It's not something that you learn, you get your doctorate in, and you never have to study it again. You know? There's, there are some, you know, if you ever had to go to school and learn something that you might never use, you know, you pass a test and you brush it away because you're never going to use it again. That is not Christianity. That is not redemption. That is not forgiveness. This is a pivotal part of my life that if I, 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 I hear it and I hear it and I hear it and then I know it, I, I begin to have a relationship with my Savior, but do you know what I still need to do? I still need to hear it. I still need to hear it, and I need to hear it again, and I am building upon what has already been built. And that is how you build a building that can withstand any kind of storm, any kind of fire. Isn't that amazing? Now, in closing, 
Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 2 through 3. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory uh, and virtue. You know, peace, grace and peace in our life, how do they come? They come but through our growth in our relationship with God. If you don't grow in your relationship with God, that you will find that you will lack peace and you will lack grace in your life. Meaning that there'll be little capacity for the problems you have in your life. That every time something happens, you will explode because you are on edge all the time. Anybody ever been on edge before? No, not me, never. Never, oh, what are you raising? <laughs> never, never, not once in my life. I am such an amazing man. Or I'm such an amazing woman. No, we can be on edge. And one little push, I'm a ticking time bomb, and it is all over, and you're all going to get puked on, you know? It's like the poison that is inside of me will be on everybody around me because I'm on the edge, and it's, I'm going to explode, right? So I need grace. I need peace. How does that come? It comes through my relationship with God. And this grace and this peace, what does it pertain to? It pertains to all things in my life. So this passage that we are, that we are reading here in 2 Peter, it coincides with Paul's prayer. Because why? Because if God has given us the graces, these graces that God has given us, it is useful for every single area in our life. And it is, it is Paul's prayer. It is Peter's prayer. You read all of the apostles in their letters. They are praying something very similar that their people that they are writing to, they will grow in their walk with God so that way they can have grace and peace in their life. They can have a real relationship with God. You know, your relationship with God should not be completely dependent on your pastor. It shouldn't even be dependent on your husband or your wife. Your relationship with God should be dependent completely upon God. Completely. I mean, that is what the one scholar says. That is what Paul is saying. That is what Peter is saying. He, they are saying that you should be completely dependent upon God. And if you are, what's going to happen in your life? You're going to have grace. And you're going to have peace in your life for every single thing that you face. Meaning that crazy driver on the road, I can have grace and peace. That crazy kid that lives inside of my house, I can have grace and peace. That crazy person in, in church that, you know, I can have grace and peace. I mean, over and over and over again in every, at, at work. And, you know, divine, could you have divine wisdom on how to be a good glazer? It could happen. Why? Because of grace and peace in my life. You don't know that word because you know because that's not you. God has given you a different gift. God has given you a different gift. God has given you a different. I mean, we all have different gifts, but what does God's grace and peace go towards? 
everything in my life. Whether you're a carpenter, a cook, you know, you, you mop floors, I mean, you know, whatever it is that we are doing, God's grace and peace is there for you. Why? Because you have an intimate relationship with Him. And the way it is today is not the way it is tomorrow. And therefore, what does Paul say? I pray for you unceasingly. Because when I look in your life, I see how God has created you. I see how God has made you. I see his fingerprints all over your life. You know, I remember I was, um, I mean, I don't remember how old I was actually. I was, I was little. I'm running around the church like most of the kids here do. And Pastor Jason's brother, Pastor Chris, was visiting our church from the Ukraine. And he, like, grabbed my arm, and he looked at me, and he says, you know, God has a consonant with your name on it. And I was, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, maybe something that little. I still remember that. God has a consonant with my, what does that even mean? (laughs) I knew what it meant, because he was a missionary. I meant that he was saying that you could be a missionary someplace where very few people go. You know, and I remembered that. And through all of the trials that I had growing up and all the indecision I had in my own walk with God and those struggles that I had with God, I remembered those words. And what was it? It was like Paul unceasingly praying for people that cared for him, that he cared for, I mean. He cared for them, and he saw in them what they couldn't see in themselves, And we could say the same thing here. We don't know who is here. But we know that as we pray for you and your growth and your walk with God, we know that God will reveal the knowledge of his will. And in that that passage, you also read that that God will give you the power, right? The authority, the, the power over sin. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this message, and we just think about it. And I am thankful that there are people that are praying for this church. I am thankful that there are people that are praying for the leaders in this church, but also as leaders here, you know, that we should be praying for our people. And there should be joy in our prayer. There should be weeping in our prayer because of the joy. And there are people that are not here, and maybe they should have been here. Like, maybe they should have stayed. But even though they're gone, we do not stay. stop praying for them because we, they were a part of our lives. And we see their calling. We see their potential. We see what God could be doing. We just thank you and praise you and help us to know you, Lord. Help us to build upon the knowledge of the redemption of Jesus Christ. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.